Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast is brought to you by my sponsors, Liquidware and Goliath Technologies, who can empower you to be proactive, anticipate, and troubleshoot any and all of your end-user issues. And now for some news. It appears that Microsoft have finally listened to reason when it comes to Windows updates on Windows 10. Today, update installations are automatically initiated on any device that Microsoft's analytics have deemed will have a, quote, great update experience. Now, of course, if you follow the podcast or you just work in enterprise IT where you deploy Windows 10, you will most likely know that 2018 was a very bumpy year for Windows 10 updates, with Microsoft even pulling back version 1809 for several weeks. And that was just one big example. There were plenty of monthly updates that caused problems that were maybe not as major, but still pretty annoying. As of the May 2019 updates, users will be more in control. Customers will have the ability to explicitly choose if they want their devices to update when they check for updates or to pause updates for up to 35 days. Again, if you follow the podcast, you'll know that the 35 days duration was something that was up for debate on some of the Reddit forums a few weeks ago. So this is confirmation of that. Microsoft's own blog post does state, however, that if your Windows 10 device is at or will soon reach end of service, an update will automatically be initiated to keep it secure. And Microsoft have also signaled their intent to increase their testing phases of updates to ensure their integrity more going forward. So this is great news. We'll have more control over our updates, and it sounds like Microsoft are going to try and do more to ensure the updates are more successful going forward. The May updates will be available to those in the fast ring next week. PowerShell Core version 6.2 has been released. This release has been focused primarily on performance improvements, bug fixes, and smaller commandlet language enhancements that improve the quality of life for users. A few short examples of updates include for the engine updates and fixes, adding PowerShell remoting enable disable commandlet warning messages, a fix for format table remote deserialization regression, add five invoke async overloads and stop async to the PowerShell type, which I'm sure makes sense to somebody out there, but not me. But, you know, just an example. There's several fixes included. A short note to anybody who's using AppV, if you're still using AppV, if you've noticed an issue with your AppV applications being unable to start with a log error of 0xc0000225, a fix has now been made available for you via KB4494206. SecureWorldExpo.com have reported on a pretty crazy case of phishing. A lady working for a company in the UK received emails from an account that appeared to be from her boss. Her boss was out of office at the time on vacation, which clearly the hackers knew in this instance. They sent emails requesting for funds to get transferred to an account. In the end, about 250000 was transferred, and 138000 of that could not be stopped. We've all heard multiple stories of phishing attempts, be they successful or not successful. You know, typically the employers take the hit, 
and might try to recover some lost money through insurance or what have you. Well, in this case, this lady's employers are now suing her for that 138000 And they have described her actions as careless and in breach of the duties, including the duty to exercise reasonable care in the course of the performance of her duties as an employee, which she owed to her employer, the pursuer. It's pretty interesting because most medium to large size organizations have compliance training that includes you know, digital information or data security that does try to teach employees about identifying phishing attempts. So I wonder if this case might say, set a precedence for employers to try and gain compensation from their employees who make a mistake. Personally, I hope that's not the case. A brand new community created What Matrix is now available, showing a full feature by feature breakdown on the most popular desktop as a service solutions on the market. If you're not familiar with WhatMatrix.com, there's several matrices with a side by side, feature by feature comparison of some of the more widely used tech products on the market in enterprise IT. So, for example, I have contributed to an application layering What Matrix which does a side-by-side feature-by-feature comparison of Citrix app layering, VMware app volumes, and Liquidware Flex app. I've also contributed to an application virtualization matrix comparing the more widely used application virtualization products out there too. So if you haven't checked that out before, go ahead to whatmatrix.com and you'll see a drop-down of all of the available feature-by-feature comparisons. If you listened to last week's episode, you would have heard me cover the Shadowhammer malware that has been affecting some Asus users. In a quick update to that story, bleepingcomputer.com has reported that the Skylight Cyber Team was able to extract the MAC addresses targeted in the Asus hack by reverse engineering the offline tool released by Kapersky to allow Asus users to check if their computer was one of the targets in the attack. It's pretty concerning that this list is out there and publicly available now, and it currently contains 583 of the extracted MAC addresses. Thanks go to Jack and everyone at BrianMadden.com for covering Okta's Octane event this week, where Okta announced a new product called Advanced Server Access, which appears to help you manage admin access to cloud servers and infrastructure and your on-premises Windows and Linux servers. The most interesting announcement to me, however, is the new hooks feature in their Okta Identity Engine, which provides passwordless authentication, progressive user profiling, and per-app branding with its usual contextual awareness. Okta is a pretty interesting product. In my experience, some smaller organizations use this as a Citrix type of alternative rather than using Zen app and not using um, something like remote app. They use Okta instead. And it's been interesting to see that VMware and Citrix have been embracing and integrating Okta's authentication into their new workspace offerings. So Okta is certainly a company you'll want to keep an eye on. This week, Intel launched a range of new products. According to Ars Technica, the star of the show is the new Cascade Lake Xeons. The new Xeon Platinum 9200 range will spec out with pairs of 256 core dies 
with up to 112 threads. There's a base frequency of 2.6 gigahertz and a 3.8 gigahertz turbo, 77 megabytes of level three cache, 40 lanes of PCIe 3.0 expansion, and a 400 watt power draw. The article doesn't contain exact pricing, but states the base model of processors comes in at $10,009, with the price rising for the more powerful in the series. If you watch this week's episode on YouTube, you'll see a table containing specs for the entire range. These are very impressive, but also obviously going to be very expensive, I'm sure. It will be interesting to see if these Xeons get deployed in the data centers operated by Microsoft, Google, and Amazon, who obviously need as high a spec as they can get to service their customer base. Visual Studio 2019 launched this week, and for us IT folks, that also will mean a new Visual C++ runtime redistributable. As stated by Ars Technica, Visual Studio 2017 had nine pretty major updates, with plenty of features added, and this release will add even more. I'm looking forward to checking this out, and I'll be interested to see the output options and what package types can be created directly from the editor. And now for this episode's hot job. I noticed a buddy of mine posted a pretty great job as an EHR systems analyst. Now, as per usual, tech job titles can be a mixed bag. I mean, what does that really entail? One might think that this is purely back-end EHR application related, but once you dive into the requirements, you could see it's Windows Server, Virtualization, and Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktop Heavy, with some Nutanix, Netscaler, Rubrik, and PowerShell thrown in for good measure. This position is with One World Community Health Centers and is based in Omaha, Nebraska. As an added perk, you would get to work with one of the nicest, sharpest guys in the community, Steve Elgin, so it's an awesome growing opportunity too. If you're interested in applying, I'll share the link to this with this week's episode in the reference links. And now, this episode's weekly webinar. A few weeks ago, I highlighted a webinar by Goliath Technologies which showcased some of their Epic integration. Well, on the 9th of April at 12.30 p.m. Eastern, they will be showing off their Cerner integration. If you deploy and support Cerner today in your Citrix virtual apps and desktop environment, you'll want to check this out. It's a way to get some of that application-specific data together with specific environment data pertaining to your Citrix Zen app or virtual apps and desktop environment. So you're able to correlate that information and get everything displayed in a single site rather than using multiple different consoles and dashboards. Between Epic and Cerner, I would think that covers the majority of healthcare customers. So if you work in healthcare, Goliath Technologies is definitely a company you'll want to check out. And now for this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. Thanks to my buddy Andrew Morgan for sharing this week's feature, which is a tool for transforming a USB key into a virtual smart card. The tool is free unless you are using a Pro or Enterprise Edition of Windows. But if you would like to use it for home labbing, you certainly can, or just for your own day-to-day -day purposes. It's been quite a while since I've had to support smart cards in an enterprise environment, so something like this is really good for me as a testing base for you know, trying out integrated with 
my Citrix lab at home or my VMware Horizon lab at home. And it might be beneficial to you guys too. So I figured I'd share. Before I wrap up this week, I'd just like to say I've been getting a lot of really great feedback from some of you guys that listen. So for example, you know, somebody said that the background music on the podcast was distracting, asked if I could remove it. In the end, I decided to keep it, but I lowered the volume on the background music. I was also asked if I could provide that reference links on other podcast platforms, which I talked about a little bit earlier, so I'm going to try and do that. Somebody told me that they missed having the hot job segment each week, so I haven't really committed to bringing it back as a weekly feature. I will if other people feel that it should be. Today, I'm just using it to promote jobs posted by people I know, or if I come across a really interesting remote work opportunity, I'll feature that. I try to keep the podcast as kind of a community-oriented podcast, so if there is any content that you'd like me to share on here, by all means, let me know, and I will. If you're having difficulty finding someone for a job where you work, and you want me to share it, reach out, and I will. If you've got maybe a blog post or a script or tool or something that you'd like to share, reach out to me and I will. I'll share it. Well, that's it for another week. As always, thanks so much for listening.